must rise to the majestic heights of meeting physical force with soul force. Let's get to work. This week, we talk with Jose Bellman. Jose is one of my best friends from college where we helped tear down Mulder Hall at San Jose State University. Seriously, the residence hall is no longer there. Now I invest in him and his company, Bellman Investment Group, where he's building apartment buildings. But that doesn't mean I don't disagree with him. I love him, but I do have questions about his spirituality and his work. It's complicated. Because, like Colin, I'm critical of a system that creates such disparities between those with and those without. The man is winning at this game of Monopoly. He's putting apartments on the board while others are putting up hotels. And though his approach to work is guided by following God and leading with grace, his work leads to gentrification. He works in an industry with renters and owners. It's complicated. We talked to Jose about his evangelical faith and what would Jesus do? Would he be in real estate? Would he own property and be a landlord and evict people? But Jose's also building affordable housing and homes for families to have shelter and create memories, so it's not all bad, right? It's complicated. Jose Bellman joins us on the Soul Force Ones podcast where we explore the intersection of career and spiritual development, where we explore our life's works and the interconnections to our inner workings with people doing different work from different faiths and religions, and how the alignment of role and soul more importantly leads to making meaning more so than making money. Less concerned with making cash and more concerned with building and stockpiling cash. As in community authenticity, spirituality, and hip-hop. All that connects us, all that is life, God, spirit, energy, or creation. Call it what you may, we tend to call it the soul force once.
listen a lot When people say things I don't really care about In one ear and it goes out And you wouldn't even notice that my head was in the cloud But my inner voice really wanna shout Quit crying, you ain't dying But I replied with legitimate advice like Keep trying, they high But I really wanna tell them that they wasting time More importantly, they wasting mine That's harsh, and I'm not cold Yeah, I'm from the capital, but I'm not bold I guess I really am a nice guy Keep your hand loaded down when races So I wanna be a track star Laughing at the people tripping on their own laces That's tasteless and I got style And I ain't got wins but I got house And that's why folks wanna pick my brain I saw the big picture and I picked my frame But I think most of us pretenses Probably just surrounded by the egocentric And that rubbed off so I say things That go along with the grain like yeah I meant it I going on Colin how are you doing <laughs> I love the background <laughs> oh man I, I love your it. hair hey this is the pandemic style so let's let's jump into it we got work to do let's go so Jose Soul Force Ones we're all about making connections so let's talk about your career what some might call their calling how is your calling or career connected to becoming who you desire to be? Or I might ask it this way. How is your work connected to becoming what you believe God, creator, spirit, the energy of life, whatever you might call it? How is that connected to your work? So, yeah, basically, when I started my career in 2000, as you probably know, I was really a really capitalist guy, like 100 percent. Really, nothing really mattered in my life. It was just every dollar meant a dollar. And if I had to push it to the side to advance, that was the game plan. And quite honestly, um, throughout the years, I did that for um, maybe till 2012. It's not too far, it's eight years ago. And um, as you probably know, my relationship much more, John, as I have a spiritual relationship with Jesus and, and God and, and him showing me what's really my calling, um, really showed me that um, where I'm at now, it's not about money. It's not about the fact that money is my, my, my reigning king or what I perceive to be first. It's about people. It's about how we could create where you're at to change lives where you're going. So that's my simplest form for me is where I'm at is what can you do where you're at, Jose? What can you do to change that? Not in a money way. What can you do? Like, can you change what's there? I have a property right now. It's in the heart of Oakland. As you know, Oakland is very Black Lives Matter, uh, very liberal. Um, and I won't get too much into politics, but basically 
the people that are in that complex, they're hurting a lot because of what they see. They're saying, we don't want to pay rent. And what does a person like me say? Well, you got to pay. But I actually say, no, pay what you can. I'm not worried about it. I know that it's going to get taken care of. I mean, before I would say, no, I need it because I got to pay my bills. It's not up to me anymore. I leave it up to the, to the man above. If you know what I mean, I leave it up to him. I could keep going, John. So basically that's just the way I feel about it. I really do. That's, that's my calling to, to make changes where you go in that apartment. There's four people that have cancer and it hurts me each time I go. I, um, I pray for them. I pray when they're there, I call them. I mean, this is like a, 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 a as, as, as close as you could tell when I care about these people so much that it's not even about anymore growing the, the, the empire. It's about a spiritual inheritance that I'm looking to build. Does that make sense? I'm trying to grow that part because people, they see this pandemic that's going on right now. This pandemic for a lot of people, they're saying the sky is falling. But it, 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 you got to ask yourself this question. What kind of lens do you have in your eyes? How are you seeing the world? The way I see the world right now, and John and Colin, is I see it as a, as a spiritual revival of whether you're going to be spit out better or you're going to be spit out worse. Are you going to be coming out better out of this, Colin or Jose or whatever, or are you going to come out better and, and help the people that needs to know what's being not heartbroken, not having a hard heart when, when what you speak. There's a proverb in the Bible on Proverbs 4.23, which I don't want you to dive into it too much, but basically it says there that whatever you speak is what your heart receives. So, you know, you know, people that are always really bad and negative and you, you hear from them, they're like, well, I had a, a bad marriage. I was, I was in drugs. I was depressed. But what are you receiving in here that goes in the heart that you speak? So now what I do, John, really my calling is what I go and I thank God for that is I really, wherever I go, wherever I go is because you got work to do there. You got work to do in that place. And some of the places, me personally, John, I don't even want to go. I want to, I mean, quite honestly, there was a point in my life I'm like, and I asked this question to myself, would you let go of everything you have right now, Jose? Let it all go and you focus on this new journey. It's a very scary, scary thought because you're like, really, you would? Quite honestly, John, I'll be honest with you, and this is probably the first time you hear from me. I probably would. What, what's the new journey? What would you give up? Just really raising capital from investors, as you know, to buy more buildings. I like it. I mean, it's a, I call it a game, you know, it's a game of like monopoly really, but I really like the fact that I could just help out people and change their, their lives to know, to know that there's, there's things much better than we're here in this earth as living creatures. I mean, it's a spiritual life. And can I ask about that shift? Cause you kind of mentioned, was it like eight years ago or so that there was sort of a a shift how did you come to that new awareness or what caused that shift or that new direction for you that's actually a very good question um i'm gonna tell you that's like my testimony so basically and everybody has a testimony colin 
you probably have a testimony too on something you've gone in your past that you said, I don't want to be that person or I don't want to do that any longer. Um, for me, it was when, when I was going through uh, a lot of uh, anxiety, anxiety attacks, fear. Um, my marriage wasn't doing well. Um, I was actually really worshiping personally myself, a lot of meditation techniques, how to get out of my, how to get my spiritual body out of my mind and all that stuff. And I'm not bashing on anybody. I'm just telling you my testimony of what, how I got where I'm at. Um, I would seek, um, you know, psychic mentors, if you call them that way, that they would tell me, Hey, you have a chakra in between your eyes and we need to align it per se, or that, the that there are stars and there's uh, stones and you name it, right? And look, for everybody has their own will, God's will. And when I saw that my marriage was never getting better, anxiety was not even getting better. I was just, I would have so much fear to get on, a, on, the, on the drive because I, I live in Salinas and I would drive to Oakland, California. I would be terrified to drive. My hands were sweat. I would get panic attacks. I would get off my car and walk by the freeway because I needed air and I felt like I was going to die like each time. And I would have a speed dial to call my wife in case I was going to die. I already had it all planned and it was very fearful. Then one day, um, my wife got a call to go to church. My wife, it's not me, it's my wife. My wife was not doing really well. And I think John will will remember those times. She was not doing nothing well. It was very bad. Um, she called, uh, she got a call to go to church as a, as a really nice loving husband. I said, yeah, let's go to church. Let's go, you know, let's go so they could help you out. And I sat in the back seat with her and we were just like, yeah, it's all good. Hopefully this will help out my wife. Then when, when you go to church, they always say a calling, say you want to come to the altar so you could just, you know, be prayed on and whatnot. I went to the altar and I got prayed on. Everything I'm going to tell you, Colin, uh, it may not make sense, but one day I pray to God you will understand what I'm going to tell you is I received the Holy Spirit. I was touched right there. And, and you're going to ask your question. You're going to ask yourself, well, what is that if you don't know? And I received something very powerful from God that moment. I felt a peace that you would probably always say, is that the peace you're talking about? Yeah, it's that peace where... I don't worry about what I think is going to happen. I don't worry about what's going on. And that same day was when it was my shift right there. That was in 2008 in May. And I got baptized a week later at my own will, which everybody really has a will to either be baptized or not baptized. I got baptized. Now, I'm not the guy that stands in the corner with the Bible. And I just do my work, God's work, and my current physical work like right now, where I work, when I go to my buildings, when I'm rehabbing a large building, I get all my team and I say, let's just give God a prayer. If you don't want to participate, it's okay. I'm not going to, I'm not going to neglect you. I'm not going to say you're not part of it. No, that's not, it's not up to me. That's up to the man above. Let him do the job patiently. And so that was my shift. And everywhere I go is to change, change my area change it wherever you're at, Jose. Colin, you're in Oregon, you change it over there. Everybody will have its own calling at, own, uh, at his own timing.
Is God a he or is God we? God is a we. And let me tell you why. Um, so we got God, the Holy Spirit, and you got the Son, Jesus. So God sent his son to die on the cross with a purpose. He didn't die because really he just did bad things because he was doing bad things. That was his purpose. That was intentionally. The devil knew that. The devil was already chasing playing catch-up. And the reason he sent them is because of all the sins that they were committing. Now, the question a lot of people right now is, is he coming again? Because a lot of people are sinning and this world looks really dark. We got all these pandemics. We got like these fires. We, people are saying, is the second coming coming? Well, it depends. I mean, how do you feel? Everything that is negative is not from God. And to clarify, you're feeling good because you got Jesus in your corner. I got the man right next to me. I'm good. You know, whatever he sends me, I'm good. So let me clarify that question because you went towards the Trinity when I said we. Yeah. When I say we, I think of my, my faith, I identify as a Quaker, is there is that of God within you, there's that of God within Colin, there's that of God within the tree, that it's all connected, right? Yeah. And so the we is what Kendrick Lamar refers to that higher power, that H, lowercase I, 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 right? That mm-hmm. I worship the I God, not in the sense that I worship me, because oh, right. that's the ego. I could, I connect that to the external God, the E-God. I'm praying to that Kendrick Lamar high power I-God that isn't I am God, but it's that of which is God, that lowercase I that is in all of us, that connects us to creation, to spirit. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that, um, I think God is, uh, you know, there's only, I, in, my, in my own heart, it tells me God is the only one creator. But I think we could, I always tell my buddy, my friend, who we would always talk and say, well, if I die, I got to wait until I go to heaven. I say, well, we could argue it when we're all going together up. doesn't matter. We're going to go up together to heaven. And that's the way I look at it. So, you know, you may think that I still, I love you. And I know that because you have a good heart and God will do it at his own timing. We'll still go together. That's just the way I look at it. Like I could say I'm Christian, but I call myself a child of God, not a, you know, there's Catholics, you call, we're all children of God. Like at the end of the day, we're, we're here for a reason. Like that's, that's my, that's my spiritual loving that I share to people that no, we're, we're, we're brothers. Like you're my brother. Colin's my brother. I don't care. Like I, there's this black lives matter. Yeah, it does matter, but all lives matter. We all matter. And that's just a different topic, John. I'm just jumping on the side. Because I think that for me is we're all children of God. That's just the way I look at it. And sometimes people will not relate to it. And that's okay because I think. Well, and I, and I agree that all lives matter. I think when that becomes the, the retort to Black Lives Matter is the problem. Yeah. Because it's politicized, right? Like, yes, all lives matter. All life matters. Yeah. And Black Lives Matter as well you mentioned doing god's work i think of inner work right there's a lot of the use of work within our terminology we got to get to work go to work 
you make money off of selling property, buying and selling property. Right. And that you mentioned Oakland and the suffering that's occurring there, occurring all over the world, but particularly there when you have a lot of people with marginalized identities. Let's bring in redlining. Let's bring in gentrification. I want to bring in Salinas too, because Central Valley, baby. That's right, man. I like it. That's right. I'm from from Santa Cruz County, so right by Watsonville. But I think that's interesting too, right? Like Salinas is known, like from the Steinbeck era with John Steinbeck, he starts out, I think it's east of Eden with like, not everyone is this lucky to be born in a place like Salinas. And then with time and lack of resources and all of this shift in Monterey County, right? If you look at the the inequity between like Monterey and Carmel and, and Pajaro and Salinas, right? It's like, there's not a lot of equity in terms of resources or how things get allocated. Mm-hmm. So I do want to throw Salinas in there too, in addition to Oakland. And- oh yeah. Yeah. That Salinas is my hometown. Like this is where I come and say, where are you from? I'm from Salinas. Like that's my base. So you were saying, John, something about... Yeah, so this idea that home is where the heart is. And if in Oakland, like in San Francisco, the Bay is expensive, right? I moved out of there and into Oregon about five, six years ago. And prices keep going up. And so if I'm invested into a property with Jose, I'm making a killing. We're making some money, right? Right. And meanwhile there's renters so that idea of owners versus renters and we just had lou on our last track and this being indigenous land that we're on and and capital and money that's being made and now black and brown people who've been living in this community for 40 50 100 years and now they're getting priced out and they're having to move out they're moving out of their homes and when, you know we were talking a lot about spiritual Uh, spirituality and that connection between this idea that it's not just you're losing this house you're losing a home you're being displaced from community and connections and so what role do you as a real estate developer as a capitalist how do you reconcile that because you are a very spiritual being and someone who is trying to alleviate suffering and you're creating homes and you're creating houses to meet people's needs and there's this, this tension there. No, it's a good question. Um, our company is really, we're so busy right now to the point where you start to reflect more and more, like, what are you doing, Jose? Is this really what you want to do? Continue, continue. And I do love it. We're talking to owners right now that are struggling because of the pandemic. You know, they're, they're, not, they're not working. The jobs laid off company got COVID, so therefore they're laid off they're in furlough but now they got laid off now i'm getting a call that if i would buy their property i look at the situation as a what you call capitalist view is it going to make money or not but here's the answer that that uh that i prayed on for to help me how to how to answer this and the main thing that I do all the time, every time I go talk to somebody is, I care about that person by telling them that I wanna help them who you are right there, where are you going through? And I try to give them that spiritual hope all the time first. 
and I leave it up to God if he wants me to move forward on it or not or how. Like it needs to be a win-win. I do, that's really the key right there. Not just, but to buy it. I really want to get to the person and say, I really do this, John, really. I really pray each time I'm going to talk to somebody. I say, well, what, how am I going to help this person? When you talk to these people, honestly, it's not the nicest call. You know, you, I'm the bad guy because I'm going to be buying a property and they're, they're stressing, they're in anxiety. And then you start knowing more about them. They start telling you, well, my son is in drugs. My wife is going through cancer. And my job, when I go through this, I share, I share with them a little bit of what God is doing in my life so that they can know who he is. Like I want, so that's the thing that I have a problem with, with the evangelicals. Like I'm all about faith and the universal oneness. Cause you mentioned before how you're not the person in the corner with the Bible, right? My experience with evangelicals is, yeah, you're not in the corner. You're usually on a pulpit. You're usually out in front of the library on, you know, spewing, not in your case, like right. homosexuals are going to hell, but there's this idea that you are lost, right? I think you mentioned to Colin that I'm, I'm a pray that you find Jesus. There's this idea that unless I'm rocking with Jesus, then I'm lost and I'm not going to the good place. Whereas I'm of the opinion that the good place is right here. Like this is yeah. heaven or hell, depending on how we engage with one another. Mm -hmm. the respect or lack thereof that I show to you. Right. Yeah. So I, I think that, um, I think really God works really in mysterious ways that it's not even anymore. You, you won't understand it until it just happens. You'll get a thought that God is going to do. For example, here, you know, before we got on the call, I prayed and I ask God to just use me as an extension to share whatever you want me to share on your behalf to Colin and John. I mean, I know it sounds really religious. I know that God's going to do something tonight with you and Colin. You're just going to say, how do you know that? Well, God only wants to change stuff. He wants to do things for the good. What are you going to do when the whole, uh, everything's controlled? God is the only one that's going to help you be free. You don't worry about it. Yeah, I leave all my worriness to really to God, everything, 100%. Like to the point where if you told me right now, John, if you told me right now, Jose, you're in a lawsuit. What are you going to do? Uh, I know I need to take care of it. God gives me wisdom, but I'm not worried about it. It'll get done. That's what I'm saying. I don't worry for the next meal tomorrow. I'm not worried, but it's going to get done. Sounds foolish. It's just because I just believe so much spiritually, it's going to get done. That's, I have certainty it's going to get done. If it doesn't get done, it doesn't get done. I move on. Yeah, I've been playing with this idea of cash, right? Career, activism, spirituality, and hip-hop. We've been incorporating community, authenticity, spirit, and hip-hop. And to me, the work is that inner work. And too often in our system and in our society, we're focused on making cash, making that cash money, as opposed to making this cash, right? That career activism, spirituality, and hip hop. Oh, right, right. That that's the work. And so when you believe in God, when you're walking with Jesus, to me, I understand that as you are placing the betterment and goodwill of the community 
of the collective we before the self. Does that resonate with you? It does. It really does. And I think once you realize that, as you know, John, you realize that it's not all about you. It's about the people around and everybody around. You're trying to help out people. Um, what's the whole point? If you have all the money in the world and you're just there with no purpose and dying and alone. Yeah, I think I, I appreciate you and your work, even though it's complicated, right? Um, <laughs> in terms of the gentrification right. and what you're ultimately a part of in terms of that system, like in like it or not, I think you contribute to it in some way, but I'll add that I've seen videos of landlords who are just complete assholes when dealing yep. with their tenants. Cause for them, it's that cash money. Yep. That's the bottom line. And I appreciate, we were talking about black lives matter, all lives matter. At the end of the day, it's this recognition and appreciation for the humanity that we share. And so when you engage with people, when you recognize their suffering, you're recognizing them as a spiritual being, as a human being, that we share something, that we are a part of a community together. And Mr. Lindsay, he had talked about winning and losing with grace. And I think in your interactions with your tenants, you are hopefully practicing grace. Yes. Practicing compassion and empathy. Yeah. Yes. I, I, I actually do that a lot, John. I really do. And um, even with my team and the office and everybody, um, I've seen so much things. I mean, uh, as I'm looking at the clock, there's so much things God has revealed to me even more and more as I'm through this pandemic that there's more need out there than you of what I want. Instead, there's just so much need. For example, um for example you know the money that i make i mean i i do keep it but my job is to to make it rain with blessings more other areas for example if i could if god gives me an opportunity to make a million dollars this year i'm going to give some of it to my church and i do give my, my tithes to my church spiritually as i it doesn't really go to the church or church. And then I also help other people like workers, tenants, people that need to just know to create more jobs. So that's my idea. I don't keep it all. I just want to just always be broke so that I know that I could spread that to the people that need it. Does that make sense? And there's Yeah, well, because Jesus on Luke 6, I'm going to quote some scripture too, Jose. That's right. In Luke 6... Jesus says, woe to you who are rich, to you who are well-fed, to you who laugh now, to you who are popular. So I think of Jesus as one mad mamma jammer. Like he was a social justice warrior. He was about sacrificing what he had for the betterment of his community. So I hear a lot of people who identify as Christians say, what would Jesus do? And they're driving around in the fancy car, they are holding on and accumulating all of that wealth. And I mean, I think that's the idea. That's the, the tension here with real estate is that you have owners and renters. And the reality is that this system requires renters. It requires employees to be exploited. This idea that everyone can achieve the American dream 
that's erroneous. It, it can't be true because there's got to be people on the bottom from which the people at the top can exploit. That was a question I was going to ask, which is the wealth that gets generated. My understanding is that that comes from the tenants paying the rent and the folks who can invest or can make a profit or can move up can return, can get a return on their investment have to have something to put in. So I don't, what opportunities or are there opportunities for folks who don't have that wealth and it can be generational wealth. It could be, right. That's another issue in society, but how does that wealth get generated and what opportunities are there for the most vulnerable folks in society? So there's like two things that I'm hearing. And one is, um, there's the haves and the haves not, right? Like there's the people that don't and they have. And then John is asking, well, what would Jesus do? And it's true. A lot of us do say that, what would Jesus do in this situation? Um, so in the Bible, it says that, you know, he gives you the wisdom to be rich, you know, wisdom to be rich. Like there's nothing wrong with that. The, the problem is it's in a scripture and it says it's harder for a rich man to reach the heaven. Because a rich man, what happens is they depend on their intelligence, their strategic matters of how to make money. They think that now that they have the money, I could fix everything. But that's not the, that's not the idea. I hit a transition point as a testimony of when God revealed himself to me when I knew that I needed God. I needed God. I, I couldn't fix everything on my own. If I had the money, I would have fixed my wife. I would have fixed the marriage but you can't fix it. And that's the thing I'm trying to, um, to help on that question is you, you need the richness of the spiritual life and that spiritual life. You'll realize you don't need the money. You do need the money, but let God do his work with you with what you have, the smallest things you have. And if you have that smallest things and you have the God, you have, you're much richer than the guy that has all the money has no God. That's, that's what I'm trying to say as in rich physically. Yes. I'm there, but I want God with me. I depend on him on all times. I don't give thanks to myself. I said, thank you, God, for allowing me to make 50,000 this month. Thank you, God, for making me 100 grand. Now let's help out more people who need this. It's, it's sometimes you look at it and you're thinking, well, you just made money. Yes, you made money, but I didn't make it myself. I asked God to help me. I asked God to guide me. Going back to the question that Colin asked and this idea of what would Jesus do? Because you mentioned, you know, you're in real estate. You might make in a month fifty, dollars $100,000. That's more than a lot of people make in a year, right? So right. I think the, the natural response would be, what would Jesus do? Jesus would just lower the rent, right? So rather than you taking the profits and the money that you made off of the tenants, couldn't we put that back in their pocket? so that they are charged less. So why, isn't that what Jesus would do? Well, so there's a spiritual like answer to that, but I'm gonna give it to you what my answer. So what Jesus would do is, what is Jesus talking to you? Jesus could talk to you differently than to me. My relationship with Jesus is my relationship. My relationship with God is still funnels through the Bible, the Holy Bible. And my spiritual relationship is, is like a cup. Your spiritual cup, how much is it filled with the spiritual life? 
is it filled 10% with what Jesus would do and then 90% is by social media and everybody else around? There's a lot of people who, and I'll go back to that answer is, a lot of people you would assume who are in church are children of God, right? You would assume because they've been in church for 20 years, they give tithes. But if I ask that person and you see their fruits of their labor, meaning how do they talk? How is their life? How is their family? How is, if you notice people who have drugs in their life or they've been divorced, you ask them, how's, how's your grandparents? Have they been divorced? Yes, they've been divorced. How's your great-grandparents? They've also been divorced. Oh, so it's normal. It's like a chain. No, it's not normal. That means you have to break that chain. And there's people in church that are like that, but they still have not let go of things in the past. And those things in the past have caused you not to break those chains. For example, let me ask you this question, and this is where, what Jesus would answer that question is, what would Jesus do if you knew you have a brother that you don't talk to because you have, a, you have something that you did that you don't want to forgive him? What would Jesus do? Jesus would say, go talk to him and forgive him. No, I don't want to do it because I don't want him to think I'm weak. You're wrong. A child of God or Jesus would say, no, you forgive him. Now let's go to this idea of these properties. Somebody yeah, wouldn't, wouldn't Jesus, you mentioned forgiveness. So one might suggest forgiveness of rent. Right. Yes. So let's say somebody told me that and it has happened because of COVID. We have let them like ride and you know what happens? This is the test of faith right here. This is right here, John. In Oklahoma, we have a 189-unit apartment complex. 50 tenants decided not to pay, right? Decided not to pay. They said, we have a moratorium where you can't evict us. Jose, because remember, I'm the bad guy. Just supernatural on paper. They don't know me. And what do I do? The question is, what does Jesus would do? I wouldn't do nothing. I wouldn't do nothing. Remember I told you? I wouldn't worry about it. It'll get fixed. They're praying on their own that they can't afford it, that they, don't, they want God to make sure that the landlord don't evict them. And I'm praying, God, you take care of it. I don't, if I can't fix it, set your own will. I know if I, have, if I can't pay the mortgage, just help me out. That is what we call faith and letting supernatural take care of it. And, and people won't never see that until they have faith. So I'll give you another question. If I told you, John, that in that boat where, where the disciples, where John told them, if you go to that land, you'll be spiritually free. But here where you're at, you have all the riches, everything you want. The few people went that way. The people stayed over here. The people that went to that spiritual land said, I believe in you because I don't need that. I don't need the money. I know I'm spiritually free. I'd rather have that peace than that money, to be honest with you. So that's what the question is. What would Jesus do? I leave it up to God. I don't care. If he doesn't want to pay, what can I do? Then, and then I'll give you another one that I... Um, you, you have to, as a landlord, as someone who's in real estate, you have to draw the line at some point, right? I'm sure you've evicted people. Yes, I have evicted people. And, and what, what happens is I have a tenant... She lives in Berkeley. 
and this is exactly a real case. She, she's homeless. When we gave her the new unit, she had no place to live. That just tells you the kind of people I wanted to live in my apartment. I, I said, the manager hired, I want her to live in my unit because she has nowhere to live. And the government was gonna pay her rent. But she's right now, she got evicted. So just follow me here. And you're, you're asking yourself, how did you get her evicted if you know she's homeless? Well, let me tell you what happened. She basically lived there, everything's perfect. I liked her a lot and I still do. And one day she was going through some problems, drugs and et cetera. I called her and I said, hey, what's going on? Like I was praying with her, I was like, look, let that pass go. And I let her stay there, whatnot. And I let, it, I let the hands to God and say, you just take care of it. I have no more control because she didn't want to cooperate or whatnot. Her unit got flooded with like a pipe bro broke or whatnot. Her whole unit got flooded literally with uh, waste from the toilet, like waste of the poop and all that. She decided not to move. I was scared to death. I'm like, she's going to get sick. She's going to die there, like literally. People were saying all over, Jose, you got to move her, but she don't want to move. I already asked her. So she says, I tell her, look, it's up to you how you want to do it. I could move you to a hotel for free. I could move you to a unit for free. I could do anything that you want. Like, that's just what would Jesus do? And ultimately, she moved out and she didn't want to come back to the place. I gave her $5,000 of my own heart because I wanted her being safe. And we've been, this is the God's work. I still communicate with her because I want her to be safe. And we talk and we pray at times of things of need. Like that's my job right there. So yes, I could have like do everything really bad. I said, no, we're just going to go at the, at the pace. So other landlords, I don't know how they do it, but I don't want to, I don't go through the, on my other past of that life. Evict, evict, no, no, I don't need none of that. At one point you're gonna need God because when things don't work in the system, what are you gonna do? There's a lot of people sick out there that uh, know that the, for, for example, Alzheimer's. I don't know of a cure for Alzheimer's. The only cure it is, is God. God will cure them. That's the only one who will cure you. If the question is, are you willing to receive God's blessing? And some people will say no, but I do remember this from my uncle who was dying of cancer. And I remember this when I, I, I would always ask him, I would ask him, Theo, uncle, can I pray for you? No, I don't want you to pray for me. You're a, you're a Christian. I go, it's not about that. It's just about praying. That's all. No, I don't want you. The day he was going to die, I asked him again, can I pray for you? Pray for me. He was at his last breath. I just wanted to pray for him. Let it be on God's hands. And at that point, he allowed me to pray for him. Why do you think he wanted me to pray for him at that last moment? He's, he's asking, well, nothing else is working. Just pray anymore. This is what I'm saying. Everybody, some, at one point, they think, well, I need this and that. What are you going to do when nothing works? When your marriage is collapsing, when you're in drugs, you're in a dark spot, you're watching porn, and your marriage is breaking down. And how do you navigate an industry like real estate where there may not necessarily be a lot of individuals who are driven by faith and a desire to help other people? You're also Latino, right? I think you identify as Mexican-American. 
I'm imagining most of the people that you're working with that you consider colleagues are white and male. That's where the money's at, right? So how is that being a Latino up in this? Dude, it is hard. I'll tell you one thing, man. I belong to this club in Monterey called the Pacheco Club. Look, man, I sit in these little round tables, John. I'm the dude ordering the beans and the apples because that's all I want to eat. These guys are loaded. They call them good old boys. Good old boys, you know. I don't care where they're all from. I'm just happy where I'm at spiritually. And it's hard because you hear what they're talking about and it doesn't coincide with your thoughts. And there's a scripture in the Bible that says is that Jesus would sit in tables with sinners. That's, what, that's my job. I got to sit in tables with uh, sinners. I don't want to sit with uh, John who's good and everything. Yeah, I do, but I want to help the other guy. I want to help the lost sheep, uh, we call them. I want to I talk to those people. And I think God is using me to on those places where it's harder. I'll tell you one thing, and I, I never told you this, John. I was going to run for mayor in Salinas. I didn't tell you that. And I prayed on it. And something was telling me not yet. I honestly, I was. And I was going to do it because I wanted change. But I wanted my change. I wanted like my own goals. But I said, no, nah, no. Nah. Jose, stop right there. You got to slow down. Not your own goals. What are God's goals? What are his goals? What's your calling? Like I'll ask you that question when you finish that. What is really your calling? Why do you think you're doing what you're doing? Why do you think you're at where you're at? And a lot of people, will, they'll say, well, well, because I have a master's, that means I got to go do my home uh, studies in Florida because I know that the divorce rate is higher over there. But then you do it and then you're empty. You go home upset and you're drinking wine every night and you're smoking weed every Friday and you're thinking you're good, but you got a problem inside. You got some problems inside that have to fix. You got to fix that before you even know who you are. And the problem mine, when, I, when I, God revealed himself to me was, Jose, you worship God. I mean, uh, uh, money. You think money fixes everything. You seek healers, spiritual gods that are nothing near what Jesus would do. Jesus never prayed on crystals. Jesus never sat down and said, I'm going to uh, elevate my body and meditate for 30 seconds and blah, 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 and hear music with bells and everything. God would never do that. In the Bible, it doesn't say it. So then what happens is when you did that, when I would do that, you would open spiritual doors, which are not God's doors. These are doors that you're talking about. See, the only problem I have with that, so you started kind of shitting on other people's practices in terms right. of they find God through meditation, right. through music. Who are you to say that they can't have a very spiritual practice? Because as you mentioned, it is their relationship with God. So just right. because it doesn't align with your particular practice, why are they wrong in doing what they're doing? So I'm going to go back to that scenario of finding your purpose. So like when I transitioned, I was doing other things where I was never happy. I was not spiritually. So I'm not bashing on those people. What I'm saying is, when I found God, Jesus Christ in 2018, I realized, and when I did that, my marriage got better. I was at peace and anxiety. When I would do the other stuff, what I'm saying, the meditation that you're talking about, I was not happy. I thought I was happy. I thought I was fine. But my marriage and my anxiety 
and how I was living and what I would say was nothing how you say, what would Jesus do? It was nothing like how Jesus would do. Now, But you're receptive too. It didn't work for you, but it could work for other people. I'm not sure. I'm just saying, I just talk about what, what God did to me. And, and I, that's, that's the thing. Like I, I appreciate evangelical Christians and doing what works for you. And I get that idea of proselytizing and wanting to share with the world that, hey, this is what happens when Jesus is in your corner. And on one level, I respect that because I feel the same way about my Quaker faith. And I want to share that with the world because I think that there's a lot of value in silence and connecting to God through silence. But I also want to respect, and this is that religious pluralism, that there are many paths up this mountain, that it yep. doesn't just have to be, in my opinion, the path through Jesus, that there is Muhammad, there's Siddhartha, there are many great spiritual teachers that we can glean from. And I feel like I can learn from you, Jose, that there is something within the Christian faith that I can learn from, just as there is within Hinduism, indigenous faiths, Buddhism, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, I'll add one thing. I think um, one thing for sure is that in the Bible, it says to love your neighbors regardless. And that's one example right there. We don't, I don't judge them for whatever they do. Buddhism, like I have partners who, the, the Buddha, um, uh, uh, the, uh, the Muslim Bibles, I don't judge them. I just say, I love you. And I, I just do my job. I just do what I'm doing. And I don't do it with strength. I don't want to change you like John. Like even if we talk, I'm not going to shake you up and be like, you're, you're crazy, dude. Why are you talking? Like, that's not my job. I just know my relationship with God and let him do his job. Like he's my boss. You do your work. I'm good with John. I love John. I love Colin. I'm not going to judge him. I was just thinking that going back to sort of being a landlord, owning property, there's so much power there. And I was wondering if there's anything that you would like to see could be policy wise, any changes moving forward that would make it more equitable for folks. Right, because houselessness is a huge area, huge issue in the Bay Area, um, Santa Cruz as well, up here in Corvallis. We see it more and more, houselessness. And I think we as a society in the U.S. don't address it the way that other countries do. It's sort mm -hmm. of, it's normalized here. Mm -hmm. They're just folks who don't have access to, to homes. I was just wondering your thoughts as, as a landlord as to maybe what could help house people or what changes we need to make to make sure that our people are taken care of? You know, it's gonna be the opposite. Like in California, we have rent control statewide now. And so what that means is we can't raise rents to a certain amount on every tenant right now. And before I could be like, John, you're renting at a thousand, market rate is two grand. So we're gonna go at two grand next year. Like that was available. I think if there's more flexibility on the owner's side and and the state being more in control, it makes it, it puts a stringent on the developer, which gives them that attitude of a more capitalist now because they got to control what they have now with more aggression since the government's controlling the rent control. I think that if they're more flexible in development, you could build a ton of real estate, but California puts all these rules where you can't and you couldn't do this. So you can't build a lot of housing. A lot of people think, well, we don't have housing. Well, 
Have you ever asked why? There's, the city makes it so difficult. It makes it very difficult. And if they put a law and says, look, you could build Jose, but you can only lease at this amount, I can make it work. But they want both. You can't build and we have control. A lot of people don't see our side of the view. They see the tenant. It's very clear. There's a lot of homelessness in California. I mean, we're being laughed at right now. Like San Francisco, full of people sitting everywhere in feces, fleas. There's, there's diseases everywhere. I mean, why? Because there's not a lot of affordable housing and there's also not a lot of development available. For example, in Stockton right now, I'm buying a a 41 unit apartment complex that's going to be only, only for affordable housing. There's a long list of waiting people. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm hitting those areas where there's going to be value and we're going to be uh, providing it and we're capped. Like you can't go at this range and you know, who's paying it, the government. So the government's going to pay for these, uh, these tenants. That's what we do. And that's what we're doing on certain areas. And then obviously we have areas where, there's the, uh, the medium income and then we build them for them. That's interesting. Cause I think I'm hesitant to get rid of the regulations on rent control, because if you go from 1000 to 2000, like if you look at the whole Bay area, it's so expensive. Like I'll never be able to buy a place ever in the area that I grew up. Like there's no way I'm in education. I'm going to be a teacher. I am a teacher, like impossible. Um, And so I'm a little hesitant to think of getting rid of that because then it's sort of like trickle down economics and assuming that, well, if you just, if you give the owners and the landlords the control, they'll make sure that it's, that everyone gets housed. Right. But I do also see how, right. Being restrictive on that end and on development makes it difficult. And I also know that there's an issue with like just empty homes. The community that I grew up in used to be a bunch of families. There'd be kids around there are tons of homes around near the coast that just go empty. Maybe it's Airbnb. Um, And so that's another point that I'm, I'm wondering about what real estate, like folks who have second or third homes over in Santa Cruz that live and work in San Jose with the tech business. Um, I wonder what else we could do because if we have folks living on the street and then we have all these homes that are just empty, how is that right? In Oakland, they have a rule right now in Oakland. I keep focusing on Oakland because Oakland has so much things going on that we're, we could use it as a, an example, like what you could do right and what you could do wrong in other cities. So in Oakland, if they have a vacant house, the owner gets penalized with, through taxes higher until it's occupied. So these, there's, a, there's this wave of, uh, I can't think of the name, but there's, a, there's this group right now in Oakland. They're they're moving into these vacant homes, like forcefully. They're moving in and they're occupying them. And then you can't get them out because now it becomes a tenant issue. And so these, they're, the landlords, like I'm a landlord, if they did that, it'd be very hard to get them out. Now you've got no income. Now they, they're using your unit. So there's both sides. And if you have them living there, they're, they're just moving in there without no permission. Like that's their calling. They're saying, hey, you guys got to build new homes unless you build new homes affordable we're going to keep moving into these vacant homes like that's what they're doing right now how do you feel about that it happened to me already uh and uh, and I, it did no it did in my apartment complex um uh throughout the riots in uh that's going on in oakland uh three of my units we call them um uh squatters 
So they moved in three of my units. And again, this is this straight out from the mouth from my end. I didn't worry. And, and, and if we didn't talk about spirituality, John, I would really just say that I, I'm not worried about it. Cause obviously if I tell somebody else like, dude, what are you talking about? Like, I just tell him, I'm not worried about it. I am worried about it, but I'm not really like stressing about it, but it is annoying. You know, it's like, you, what can you do? It's a family that wants to live there. What are you going to do? There's COVID outside. Um, the judges are not going to put you to put them out because you're going to put a family to die. Really? Like on COVID, like you think about that. Are you going to raise rents right now, Jose through COVID? No, you can't raise rents. Um, but you could build and bring more housing. So that's, that's what I've been doing. Um, so you know how I feel about it. It's, it's not good, but you also got to understand they don't have a place to live and you just got to run with it. Just got to run with it. Don't, don't focus on the problem. It's already done. You can't control it anymore. Including in Oklahoma, the hundred, those 50 people. It's just, you just got to roll with it. You know, that's pretty much it. Another landlord will probably be, I don't know, hopefully not, you know, stressing anxiety and heart attack or I don't know, but you just roll with it. There's things better in life than the buildings, you know? <laughs> John. Well, this has been fun, Jose. Thanks for, thanks for joining us and, and sharing with us. All right, so Colin, Jose is one of my really good friends. Uh, likely would consider him to be one of my best friends. And yet there were a lot of things that he was saying that didn't resonate with me, what I would consider to be contradictions. And this might get into a little bit of a critique of evangelicalism, right? Because on one hand, there's a lot that resonates with me because I, I embrace a high level of religious pluralism in the sense that to each their own. Um, I, I think I kind of mentioned that I feel, I feel we're traveling up a mountain and there's multiple paths and there are multiple faiths and different faiths uh, provide people with different tools from which they can get to where they need to be. And that we're all ultimately going in that same direction in terms of finding peace, finding meaning and purpose. And, and, and I love Jose dearly. And I think at the end of the day, as much as he loves me as well, there's still this underlying belief that because I'm not following the ways of Jesus, and I would disagree, about what that actually means to follow Jesus. But I don't believe in the Trinity, for example. I don't believe in a lot of the things that Jose and other evangelicals might believe. And so there's this underlying belief that I'm going to hell. And that doesn't bother me because I think heaven and hell, as I mentioned, is right here. But there's this, it's, it's almost condescending, this idea that you're going to pray over me as if I need something that your faith will provide. So it just doesn't land really well with me. Yeah. How um, did it feel, John? Like when you heard that, I can tell you how it felt for me after, but like, how did it feel for you at certain points during the interview? Maybe when, you know, he mentioned that he prays for you, that you kind of one day also discover this, right. Or, you know, there are moments where you're sitting at the table with sinners you know, what, what was your kind of gut reaction before you even processed it? Like, how did that feel? Well, it's this idea that I'm better than you. 
I think that's the end of the day. It's that white savior complex, right? And, and Jose's Mexican-American. And there's this idea that to be the white savior, you have to be white. And Dick Gregory said, white is an attitude. And that idea that I am superior. So whether that's I'm superior because I'm white or I'm superior because I follow the ways of Jesus and I practice a particular faith. White Jesus. still that underlying White yeah, I want to know. I'm, I'm hopeful that Jose is at least praying to a Latino Jesus, right? I'm all about Jesus being essentially brown because he was. And so, yeah, let's cancel white Jesus. Jesus can stay. White Jesus has got to go. I like that. <laughs> but even that response to is God he or is God we? I wasn't really rocking with Jose's response. Or she. Or non-gender can like you know what i mean well and we've personified god right it's what we talked about with daniel quinn and anthropomorphism god is not a he i don't think god is a she god is energy again my my approach to this is very much rooted in how i think someone like lou and indigenous people oftentimes associate with faith and then that's a whole other dynamic in terms of colonization and how we got to this point where so many people are Christian and the violence and the exploitation that it had to get to this point where we talk about decolonizing professionalism and pushing dominant ways upon other people, in this case, faith and religion. And everything that comes with that, right? Um, how you see the world, how you see gender norms, how you, what you see is the family unit, um so many different things about how we interact in the world so many different constructs are pushed through religion and heaven and hell being here i love when you mention that as well because for me it's are you a good person are you doing good work now whether or not you articulate that as believing in this god or that god following jesus if you're totally unaware of the teachings of Jesus, whether or not you're doing that work, to me, that's what's important, right? And I think the, for my spirituality, what resonates most with me, and it's been this way, I think since like high school is, is Buddhism. And you have the eightfold path and you have right livelihood. And to me, it's interesting too, right? So, you know, right speech, right action, trying not to cause harm. And part of that is through livelihood. And so I'm always, I was thinking about that, right? When we're talking about um, being a landlord, owning buildings where people have to pay to have shelter, that's the system we're in. If it's not Jose, it's someone else, right? But to some extent, right, there, there's, it's, it's tricky. And I'm sure you can be a good landlord, right? At the same time, there's something he mentioned about, right? Like 50 people choosing not to pay their rent. And my question was like, in times of pandemic, you know, are they choosing or are they just unable to? Do they have work? Do they have income? Do they have the money there to, to pay or not? Like, but it was framed as a choice, right? And then as you mentioned a little bit when we were chatting earlier, I don't think we'd started recording yet, but there was that point where you mentioned, um, right? Kind of just leaving it up to God. And that kind of excuses oneself from their own responsibilities. I could see it right with having that belief and sort of trusting that faith 
to maybe lessen your own anxiety, feel like you're being looked out for, feel, you know, trusting um, in the higher being. I personally don't know what that is like. Um, but I think, you know, as you mentioned with the contradictions, right, like that can also sort of relieve one from their own responsibilities of having to address a situation. Yeah, and in the case of Jose, and I feel like life is but a paradox, is full of contradictions. As much as I may critique a landlord and real estate, I also invest with Jose, as I may have alluded to. And so I also have to hold the mirror up to myself in how complicit in this game am I. And it's interesting, he referred to it as a game. I think he made a reference to Monopoly, right? Which, interestingly, a Monopoly, if you look at how it was created, it was created as a critique of Monopolies. And then the game got bought by Parker Brothers and completely sidelined the creator, and it became a capitalist endeavor. It's the same thing with Wu-Tang and Cash Rules Everything Around Me. It's actually a critique in many ways of poverty that if you, if you listen to a lot of hip hop, it's, it's talking about the conditions, the conditions of poverty. And, you know, it's just a, such a dope hook with Method Man that it became an anthem for now capitalism. So it became something other than what it was intended for. And Monopoly Pac, is the same way. If you look Pac, the early work of Pac, the message throughout his music, right? But then you look at the gold chains or the rings, some of the tracks, right? He's very complex. There are contradictions there. But I think all of these just show the pattern of how capitalism is able to co-opt different critiques or different anti-capitalist sort of messages or movements and flip it. I mean, that's, that's, that's scary. And I'll say, if I were to have a choice of landlords or a choice in terms of who I invest with. It is someone like Jose, because I appreciate how he approaches tenants. Like there are things about Jose and about evangelical Christians that I do resonate with. Um, I, I do resonate with this idea of doing God's work, of being very mindful of how my impacts or my decisions are impacting other people that, that, recognition of spiritual beings and human beings. I think Jose gets that where I feel like he loses it is this idea that, you know, he, he mentioned how with his staff, he'll ask people, he'll, he'll do a prayer for them. And how if you don't necessarily identify as Christian, it's cool, you don't have to participate. But I think what a lot of people don't recognize who practice a dominant ideology or have a dominant identity is that there is this pressure to conform. So yeah, I can stand on that sideline and not participate in the prayer. I don't feel like I belong as a part of this. And so that has really severe implications, even though that idea of prayer isn't entirely problematic, but it can be just because of the domination of Christian ideology in this country and the implications of that. Yeah. The other thing that's interesting, because I was reading the transcript, and it was interesting because the transcript transcribed their praying on their own as P-R-E-Y-I-E-N-G. So I was just playing with that idea of what does it mean to pray on their own. Straight up and destined for jail, so now we pray. Hey, 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 hey. We to pray. Hey, 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 hey. 
So now we pray. Hoping couple dollars come my way. From the open and bail, straight up and destined for jail. So now we pray. We to pray. Hoping couple dollars come my way. From the open and bail, straight up and destined for jail. So now we pray. From the pray. Uh, through the scope of black music, I am banned. The son of immigrants who left the Philippines saying Educated from the bottom by a standardized test Battered by a life of P.O. lights on A.O. lights next Acquisition by auto industry is in my chest When exhaust was more than mama chasing overtime checks One apartment, two siblings and my grandparents and I And I've been a prime prey for the devil all my life From a worker to a student, educator in the music A jaded veteran, PTSD and through the bullshit I'm a papa who rather have integrity in mind Cause most these motherfuckers came round From the days of watching mama chase the bus And seeing me in cuffs Not teaching young son to keep his checking hand up How to act when they show up and try and say he looks suspicious All the shit you probably never have to teach the white children Now we pray Hoping couple dollars come my way Oh I ain't know you still rap Ain't you from back in the day I'm still pray We the pray Hoping couple dollars come my way From the open and bail Straight up and destined for jail So now we pray From the pray Don't trip, that's just bamboo the pistola Bamboo the pistola, that's just bamboo the pistola Don't trip, that's just bamboo the pistola Bamboo the pistola, that's just bamboo the pistola Don't trip, that's just bamboo the pistola Bamboo the pistola, that's just bamboo the pistola A little exploration in the race, trying to navigate an industry with Filipino face, slow the pace. This isn't praying to a god, this is praying like the Philippine army under Lumad, we are pray. Right, this idea, I can pray on my own, but this idea that we are praying on our own and real estate and how we are praying on our own in terms of exploiting the renter and how capital is made. And just the thing about real estate, because I've made a little money working with Jose, is I make, I can make so much more money in real estate where I really don't do anything but buy a property and let it appreciate in value and then sell it than I do actually working, whether that's physical labor, my mental labor. And so Jose had said something about how God provides, right? If I'm rich, it's because that was God's doing. I thank God for that. God is because of the way that I live. And so now I'm being rewarded for it. And I don't know if that resonates with me, that, that all of these people in real estate, right? He, he was sitting around a table with sinners. These are all people who are big balling because they're selling and buying real estate. This idea that God is looking out for them. I don't think God has anything to do with that equation at all. They're working the system. They're playing the game of Monopoly and they bought the hotels and they're taking you to the bank. I don't know where God is involved in that calculation. 
Well, it comes down to Jesus, right? We were talking about what would Jesus do? And Jose's response was, well, I won't do anything. I'll place my trust in God. So on one level, I resonate with that because that reminds me of the Taoist term Wu Wei, that idea of be, be like water, Bruce Lee said, right? People know Bruce Lee is saying be like water. That comes from Taoism, this idea of going with the flow. Things in life may come, things in life may go. There might be a rock in the middle of that stream. The water doesn't always necessarily try to push through that water, though the water is very powerful and can move rocks, can move logs downstream. But in most cases, if there's a huge rock, the water is going to go around it. The water flows. So I resonate with that idea of control what you can control and let go of what you cannot. But then there's this piece that I push back on in terms of that response from Jose, I don't have to do anything because this is God's will. If it wasn't, then it wouldn't be the way that it is. And I think that absolves us of responsibility. And I would argue that in many cases, Jose is assuming that responsibility because when there's that woman who is homeless and she has to leave the property, he's going out of his way to help her. He could have just as easily said, well, that's God's way. You're supposed to be homeless. You're supposed to be destitute and living in poverty and go hungry. That's how God wanted this to be. But in that situation, he did what I would consider to be what Jesus would do. He helped her out. And I think when we ask that question about real estate and about lowering rent, and you hear this when he talks about not necessarily tenant rights, but the flexibility and the rights for property owners, it's hard to get behind that because you see so much money that is being made while there is so much suffering, right? You look at the market in terms of the stock market, people are still making a killing, right? Mark Zuckerberg, Jeff Bezos, there's a lot of people who are suffering. And what obligation do I have does Jose have, and, and it's tough because we operate within this capitalist system. It is the system it is. And to your point, if it's not Jose, then it's going to be someone else. I think we at least have to ask the question. I don't know what the damn answer is. Yeah, if we knew it'd be easier. Part of it is that the way that our, our society is set up, we're not communities, right? It becomes very individualistic and it's the family unit, it's me and mine, and that comes first. And I get that, but we have homeless people here in Corvallis. How are we a community? How do we allow folks to be in that situation? And that's where, right, because I think people approach this issue, they approach everything, quite frankly, in a duality. It's black or white, it's capitalism or it's socialism. And you, you have folks like Bernie Sanders, you have this democratic socialism, which I feel like is a fusion of those two, because it's really unpopular to say I am anti-capitalist. Um, and, and so much of our system, it's not as if it is entirely capitalistic because we have welfare for corporations. We have socialism built into our economy. And then it is a capitalist system. So it's this fusion. And I think you're getting at what I consider to be at least the direction of arriving at that answer, which is community which is recognizing that soul force ones. That person who is homeless is my brother and sister. When they suffer, I suffer. 
like that we have to empathize and feel someone else's pain. I don't feel like there's enough of that right now because we are so individualistic. It is all about me. And so when, yeah, God is God, a he or we, when you say God is a he, again, I feel like we're praying to this external God, to the ego, as opposed to that sense of the collective we. Like that becomes the focus. So when you pray to God, when you are in community, it's not just those who believe as I do and who are in this room playing, praying to the same God that I'm praying to, but we're also mindful and considerate of others who do not share our faith and practice. And not just because we want to convert them. It's not just because we save them. The intentions matter. I went to this conference over in Portland. It was for missionaries. It was like an evangelical missionary conference. And it was so disturbing. Many, many good people, I'm sure from their perspective, their heart is in the right place. But when you pick up all these brochures and you see black and brown people on the brochures, and then you look around the conference and it is predominantly white people who want to go to what they refer to as the 1040 window, which is the latitude and longitude of a section of the world that they have identified to save and convert. These are the unreached people, the people who haven't been blessed with the teachings of the gospel. So you have all these white people who are trying to go to all these black and brown people and save them. I have a problem with that. And I think that is at the root of my concern with evangelical Christians, even with someone who I dearly love, like my boy Jose, that at the end of the day, yes, you love people, but you still have these underlying convictions that you, because of your faith, are superior. And that's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds, if not more, years old, right? The process of converting folks, that was the whole goal of the Spanish crown. I mean, that in, in looting the land and the resources, but converting people, saving souls, not people, not humans. Kill the Indian, right? save the man. Yeah. I mean, you're trying to, to save the souls. And yeah, when that's the goal and that's the mission, it justifies all kinds of horrific things, right? I think you were getting at earlier in terms of how, yes, the, the Bible, the word can be used for powerful good. I, I find that there are incredible teachings from the Bible, from the Quran, from the Tao Te Ching, that there is tremendous knowledge that can be shared between people of different faiths. If only we were to recognize and appreciate the beauty of that faith as opposed to I am right, you are wrong, and I'm, I, and I'm going to convert and save you by any means necessary. If that religion, if that teaching, if that prophet speaks to you and is helpful to you on your path to being a good person and doing good work, that's wonderful. That's the important thing. And when we get off, off track and it's about converting people to my worldview is right, then it gets super manipulative and dangerous and manifest destiny. I mean, we're in Benton County. Benton was a senator, I think, maybe from Missouri, I want to say, who said some very, very problematic things in promoting manifest destiny and justifying westward expansion, you know, and his name is on this county. Well, and that is just like the urban pioneering. So I forgot to ask Jose about this. 
but this was the man and woman who were standing outside of their homes with guns. Protesters came into this private community. Uh, they were on their way to the mayor's house, I believe. So from my understanding, there was no immediate threat to these homeowners. Protesters are just walking by, um, but they felt threatened. And so they armed themselves, stood outside, may or may not have directed their guns in the path, pointed them at the protesters. They so did. I was reading, they did. And so oh, yeah. I'm, I'm reading articles about this guy because he got a lot of press. You know, he was all over Fox News and, and the media were interviewing him. And on several occasions, he referred to himself as an urban pioneer. And I thought that was really interesting because to me, it speaks to gentrification. It speaks to manifest destiny. The idea that there are these desolate communities that are impoverished and I, the white man, I, the capitalist, am coming in there, I'm investing my hard earned money and I am saving them. That's problematic to me. I feel like it's beyond problematic. You, you're making a killing too, right? Like you, you're getting paid. You're, you're extracting the resources from that community. As that property value appreciates, that money is going in, into your pocket. It's coming out of the community as opposed space to staying in the up. community. Just literal land, space that you're t urban pioneer. I mean, and how that conflicts with the conversation that we just had with Dr. Luhui White Bear in our prior episode in terms of whose land is this? And I think that's even interesting that a lot of indigenous people, I believe, don't even consider it to be their land. This is not our land. We don't have ownership over this land. This is earth. We occupy it just like all the creation. Yeah, I, don't, I wouldn't even say occupy. I mean, I think depending on the meaning of that word, right? But just we sure. coexist with it. And again, right? I mean, soul force ones, right? The, the interconnectedness. That's the other thing, coexist, right? You'll see that on a bumper sticker with all of the different things. And I think that misses the point. It may be intended with altruistic intent, but I think that idea of coexist, the way it's generally understood, is how Jose articulated it in the sense that I'm Christian. Yeah, Colin, you might be Muslim. You might be Buddhist. We'll coexist. I'm going to let you just do your thing over there. I'm going to do my thing because I know I'm on the right path. And I just hope and I pray that God will show you the way, Colin. And I'm like, nah, coexist is whack. It's not about coexisting. It's about coming together and recognizing the value. It, coexisting does not embrace the soul force oneness, I guess is what I'm saying. It still suggests separation. And I'm, I'm all about connection and finding out how and where we connect. I don't mean it in the sense of like tolerating, right? Where we tolerance is important tolerating each other you do you i do me but existing together convivir in spanish living together that was how i would interpret coexistence and really there are words at the end of the day it's what meaning is behind that word and how people live that word into action my sense based on how we are so polarized that the general sense of coexist is separation as opposed to what you just described. We got to ask more Prius owners. You know what I mean? <laughs> Go to the co-op, knock on some windows. <laughs> Tell me more about your bumper stickers. 
And that does it for this episode of Soul Force Ones. Make sure to check us out at soulforceones.com and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Search for us on YouTube and you'll find some good content there in between episodes. A big thank you to Jose Bellman for chatting with us this week. We featured two tracks by a few of my favorite artists on this podcast, Odyssey and Bamboo. We open with Contradiction's Maze off of Odyssey's The Good Fight album. Make sure to support him at odyssey.co. That's Odyssey, O-D-D-I-S-E-E dot C-O. Later we heard As We Pray, P-R-E-Y, off of Bamboo's Pray for the Devil album. Produced by OJ the Producer, who also made our music. Support BAM at beatrockmusic.com or bamboobeatrock.bandcamp.com. And make sure to follow OJ the Producer at ojtheproducer.com. And don't forget, we're also creating an experience here. So in the spirit of building and coming together, we're doing the same with People of Color Clothing. While supplies last for a limited time, special offer, when you buy a hoodie, a t-shirt, or any of the gear at peopleofcolorclothing.com, MT Stoll and DJ Cole are throwing in two free pairs of Soul Force Ones, one for you and one for your friend. So get to peopleofcolorclothing.com, buy your gear, and enter promo code Soul Force Ones for two free pairs of Soul Force Ones.